Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're starting a new series today called, uh, This is Not the End. This is Not the End. Uh, we're going to focus on one passage of scripture this whole month. It's going to be a five-part series, all of October, and I'm excited for it. But today is part one, and I'm titling this message, if you're taking notes, Joy and Suffering. Joy and Suffering. Bertrand Russell, who was uh, one of the leading minds in the, the 20th century, uh, he was a mathematician, a philosopher, uh, he said this uh, about 70 years ago. He said this, the painful thing about our time is that those who feel certainty are stupid. And those, who, those with any imagination and understanding are filled with doubt and indecision. And I think this sentiment stretches all the way to our generation and all the way to today. I feel like a lot of us feel the same way today. Uh, so much so that we say still that ignorance is bliss, right? When you look at our world today, and you really read the headlines and, and you think about what's wor- happening globally, you know, the unrest that is, it happens in the Middle East and human rights violations in Asia and Africa. You, we have a war in Eastern Europe. We have an energy crisis in Europe and in, in, in the West. Um, we have uh, here in America, you know, we have economic uncertainty, inflation, and uh, it seems like our leaders are committed to keeping us divided into the right camp and the left camp, and, and uh, I guess it works for them when, when, when politics is done that way, and, uh, but not, it doesn't work for us, right? Uh, and a possible famine, just read about this, there's a possible famine looming in Europe of all places. You look at the world, it's, there's so much going on. And then you look at your life, what you're going through. You have problems. You have your bills, your relationships. You have people calling you, lying to you, telling you that your car warranty is about to expire. <laughs> when you know for a fact you didn't get the warranty. Your car has no warranty expiring, okay? They're making it up because they want to sell you a warranty. I have a car that I haven't had in like five years, and I still get messages for that car. Uh, <laughs> but there are some more serious problems that you might be facing. You know, might have, you might have uh, serious problems, problems that are difficult to solve, problems that are hard to face. Maybe your, love, love, your loved ones are dealing with things like that. And it's, it's easy to get to a point where you begin to have this apocalyptic mindset. Is this the end? Is this the end of it all? Are we the last generation? Is this the end of my life? Is this the end of, of, of peace? Is this the end of prosperity? Is this the end of life as we know it? Is this the end of our economy? Is this the end of our way of life? Is this the end of us? Is this the end? What if I can't make it? What if, what if I've, I've met my limit? Okay. And you don't, if, you, if you don't have a strong foundation of faith, if you don't have a strong spirit within you, it's easy to look at all these problems, especially now because they're, they're at the tip of our fingers and, and right in our face every single day. 
um, it's easy to feel, to get filled with anxiety. I saw this comedian uh, make a post about, uh, they did a survey about what do you do, what is the first thing that you do when you first wake up, right? What's the first thing you do when you first wake up? And they, they asked people today, they took a survey, and most people said, check my emails, check my messages, re reply to text messages, go on social media, and read the news. And then they asked the same people uh, in the 90s, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? And the answer was one, pee. <laughs> That's all you had to do when you wake up, right? Take care of yourself. Now, we, we can access the world immediately. And you, our minds get, can get flooded with all of these things. And we all have fears. Internally, externally, we all have anxiety. We all deal with it. And actually, fear and anxiety at their normal level, it's human. It's normal. It's not a sickness. It's not a condition. A normal level of fear and anxiety, you don't have to be treated for. It's, 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 a, it's a natural response to a threat. When, you're, when you feel like there's a threat on your life or or on your sense of being, you're going to have either fear or anxiety. But do you know the difference of the, between the two? And sometimes we think that like, there's a moment where fear crosses into anxiety, like it's a, a degree, right? Uh, but there's a difference. And I learned this from uh, a renowned psychologist I studied recently uh, in preparation for the series. When you, when you experience fear, that's when you know exactly what the threat is. You know what's threatening you. You know the thing that, that you're facing, and you somewhat can't predict what the end result might be should you face that threat. And if I were to ask you today, what are you afraid of, you probably can tell me with specificity the thing that you're afraid of, the thing that, that brings you to, that bucks your knee a little bit. You know, some of you are spiders, you're afraid of spiders or snakes. Any kind of lion, right? I guess all of us here. Any kind of lion, tiger, or bear, unless, you know, some of you are extra courageous. Fear of heights, fear of the dark, fear of any bodies of water. I'm not going to say who, but <clears throat> Dan. <laughs> fear of roller coasters. Maybe it's your mother-in-law you're afraid of. I don't know. But we all have fears. I was actually talking about this with Delini, and I said, you know, I, I have this thing I was going to share with people that everyone should be afraid of flying. I told her. I, I think that everyone should be afraid of flying, except if you're in an airplane or in a helicopter. But if you're just dropped in the air, you should be afraid of flying. <laughs> and then she said, actually, if you think about it, no one is afraid of flying. We are afraid of not flying. And I was like, that's brilliant, <laughs> right? We're not afraid of flying. If we could fly, we wouldn't be afraid. We're afraid that at some point, we're no longer going to fly. So we're really afraid of not flying. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Fear, fear has a name. That's the point. You know the threat by name. You can identify it, and you can choose whether you're going to face it or not. It's, it's called a flight or fight right? Anxiety, on the other hand, it's the threat that you can't quite pinpoint. You can't quite 
tell what it is. You're uncertain of the, the threat or the result. You know there is a threat, but you don't know if you can face it. You don't know what will happen. You don't know if, you, if, you are, if you're ever going to have control of the outcome. You don't know what the progression of the situation will be. You just don't know, but you're there. You're present and exposed to it. Anxiety doesn't come uh, to make your senses sharper. You know, sometimes when we, when we feel fear, our senses get sharper. Our hearing, our eyes, we, middle of the night, you hear a noise, you immediately, you can, you can, you can get uh, sharper uh, senses. But with anxiety, it's the opposite. You kind of get disoriented. There's uncertainty. Anxiety robs your attention to the point that in that moment, in that, in that specific moment, you, you, kind, you kind of forget your capabilities. You're not sure how strong you are. You're not sure how weak you are. You're not sure if you're able to, or if you have the capacity to face the situation. Your capacities and capabilities are a blur. And you freeze. And that's the difference between the two. One is definitive, known, specific. The other one, it's somewhat abstract. You don't really know what the outcome will be. And so you can say, thank you, JD, now I know the difference and I know two ways in which I can be doomed. <laughs> but I want to help you today. Because we all face trials, we all face tribulations, and we will all face trials and tribulations that will overwhelm us at some point. And like I said, if you don't have a strong foundation of faith, it's easier, it's easier to let anxiety grip our hearts. And anxiety can be so strong that it can take you to a place where you think, man, I think this is the end. I think this is the end of this season of my life or this moment or even life itself. And I want to tell you today, this is not the end. Whatever you're facing, this is not the end. It's not the end. We will face trials. We will face circumstances. We go through seasons of disappointment. And sometimes it's hard to see purpose in it. But when you live for God, you know that there's a promise. There's a promise for your life. And the promise is that when you are devoted to Christ, suffering is not the end. There's a purpose for the sufferings. God, God can redeem it. And not only can you face suffering, but when you follow Christ, through your suffering, you can find peace. Through your suffering, you can have faith and even joy. Why? Because your joy and your faith, they're not rooted on the circumstances. They're not rooted on outward situations. They're rooted on your relationship with God and your revelation of who He is. See, there's something being produced in you. And whatever you're going through right now, it has a potential to produce something amazing. In your life. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. This is the passage that we're going to uh, study and, and really uh, explore this entire month. So let's read it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of 
of God. Verse 3, he says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So let's explore this for a little bit as we introduce this series. When you don't have God, when you don't have faith, suffering can easily produce anxiety. It can easily produce worrying. Suffering can easily cause your mind to to have, have embrace sadness and, and a sense of despair. But here's what happens when you live for God and you put your hope in God. The first thing that Paul writes is that by faith, you have access to grace. And this is a beautiful thing. Now, what is grace? Grace, the classic uh, technical definition is that grace is unmerited favor. It's favor that we do not deserve. It's favor that God bestows upon us that we have done nothing to earn. It means that God is for you even though you don't deserve it. It means that God forgives you even though you don't deserve it. It means that God restores you even though you don't deserve it. And it also means that grace trains you to walk away from your old self. It's the grace of God that leads you to become more like God. In another passage, uh, Paul writes this, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So this is what we learn from the Scripture, that grace is more than just forgiveness. Grace is more than just a get-out-of-jail-free card when we mess up. See, because grace changes us. It moves us from our current state to a state of redemption and Christ-likeness. The grace that leaves you the same way it found you is no grace. Grace that forgives the drunk but doesn't heal the drunk and leaves the drunk in his drunkenness is no grace. Grace that forgives the liar, but doesn't convict the liar, and, and empowers the liar to leave his lying ways is no grace. Grace that forgives the abuser, but doesn't transform the heart of the abuser, doesn't rescue the abuser from that mindset, it's no grace. Grace that finds you broken and leaves you broken is no grace. The grace of God comes to change us, to transform us. After all, who wants a God who doesn't change you? Who wants a God who can't redeem you? Who wants a God who can't rescue you? Who wants a God that leaves you just as you are? Now, we are welcome as you are. We come as we are, uh, and, and we are received as we are, but we don't stay the same. We are transformed. And thank God that by faith, we can access His grace the grace that rescues, forgives, saves, and transforms us from the inside out. That's the grace of God. So you have to understand that we don't, we don't deserve to be like Jesus. 
We don't deserve to have eternal life. We don't deserve to, to, to have the ability to be sanctified and leave our, our old ways. But the grace of God meets us where we are. It saves us from our old lives, and it transforms us into God's image. So that's the first thing that Paul tells us in the process of, of transformation in Christ. And then he says that uh, through him we have access by faith into grace. And then he says that uh, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now this is amazing. Because we can put our hope in other things. Uh, other thing, uh, in things other than our circumstances. We can put our, our hope in things other than our temporal, earthly sources. See, we have hope, and we have a relationship with God, but we can have hope in eternity. We can have hope for things that are above. In other, in other ways, uh, in other words, what, what Paul is saying here, hope of the glory of God means thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We can have hope for that. We can have hope to, to call God's kingdom on earth and see our situations change. And then he says, not only that, in Christ, we can also have rest for our problems here on earth. It's not just about grace forgiving us and transforming us. It's not just about the heavenly plane. But the things that you deal with, the temporal things, the earthly things, there is a solution for the problem of suffering. We can find a, we can find a godly solution for our tribulation. And this is where I want to focus the next few minutes because suffering is something that we all go through. We all face suffering. But suffering has a purpose. It has a purpose for you and it has a purpose for your family members. See, in verse 3 right there, he says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, we're going to get to endurance in a little bit, but I want to, I want to focus on this word rejoice because it's so easy for us uh, uh, to read something like this and, and honestly, it just, it just comes across a little weird, right? W what do you mean rejoice in our suffering? Am I supposed to enjoy pain? Am I supposed to be a glutton for punishment here? Is this what the Christian life is? Just embracing guilt and, 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 and pain and suffering? And, and look at, at the pain and say, you're supposed to enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it. You're suffering right now? Be quiet and, and smile and rejoice. That's what God is telling you to do. Say, ah. Is that what Paul is saying? No. If, if, if you just look at it and you don't really uh, um, meditate on it, it might come across that way. But that's, that's not exactly what the Scripture is telling you. There are certain kinds of suffering that in the concept of the scripture, it makes more sense. It's easier to rejoice in. For example, when you suffer loss in your life so that someone you love can have gain. If you're a parent, you sacrifice for your children. If you're a parent, you, know, you, you, you suffer for them. But you do it because there is joy in it. I've heard of a mother who, uh, way back, that he, she, she donated her kidney to her daughter. And so she went through the suffering of that process of losing one of her organs. But there was joy in it because 
Her daughter got to live. I mean, it's an amazing trade-off, right? You suffer, but you can rejoice that, that the person that you love gets to live. But the same can be true for things that are more common. Things that we all face in a more common way, like leaving a toxic relationship. There's a reason why that relationship entices you. There's a reason why that relationship at times is good for you, but you know it's toxic. You know it's not leading you to in a good direction, so you have to leave it. And maybe some of you, you've done this. You've left a toxic relationship, and there is suffering in that process, but you know it's going to be good, so you can rejoice in it can rejoice in the fact that you suffered. Leaving a dead-end job is the same thing. Man, you have the security for, of that paycheck. You have the security of knowing what's coming, but you're not going anywhere. So you will suffer for a moment so that you can get to the place where you're supposed to do. And so there are other things that you, you, can, you can find a way to rejoice in that suffering. But there are moments when rejoicing in our sufferings does not make sense. What about when you can't see the purpose? What about when, when you, you don't know what the outcome will be? What about those moments when it's not only giving you pain, but it seems like it's your end? It, seem like, it seems like it's going to take all of you. Can you rejoice then? Can you find joy in those moments where the Apostle Paul writes here it's true it was true then and it is true for us see when we can't see the the outcome outwardly this is where we rejoice we rejoice on what's happening inwardly we rejoice in what god is doing on the inside like i've said here before you know there are plenty of things that happen in the world that are against god's will plenty of things happen in the world that uh, it's against God's will. And the evidence is our brokenness. It's our despair. But even when something happens in your life that is not God's will, that God didn't intend for it to happen, your suffering is producing a series of things in your heart. It's producing a series of things in your life. And the first thing that Paul says is, is that it is producing endurance. There's a transformation happening on the inside. You, you, you're... You're developing endurance. And oh, how important endurance is. Oh, how important it is to endure until the end. It's important to finish well. It's not hard to start. Anybody can start. Let me tell you a secret. You ever try to run a marathon? The easiest mile is the first one. No doubt about that. First mile is the easiest. It only gets harder after the first mile because it's easier to start. The easiest part of a marriage is the wedding. Notice I didn't say the wedding planning because you're not married yet. But after you say I do and you go party and you eat and you dance and you have a good time, with it, that's the easiest part. Honeymoon, easiest part. When you come back from the honeymoon and you start living together and you smell the smells, and you, and you share everything, you know. And then she presses the, the toothpaste on top and he presses on the bottom. And, you know, you last a month or two. Like, but then you got to speak up. It's bothering you. You don't want to be resentful. The beginning is easy. But what happens when you face tragedy? 
What happens when the road gets difficult? What happens when the outcome is not what you expected? What happens when the will of God does not prevail in that moment? Because people are wicked. Because people have done evil things. Have you been there? Have you suffered loss? Have you suffered abuse? Have you suffered things in your, in your life, maybe even in your body, that you don't have answers for? And now you hear a scripture like this, and you're thinking, how am I supposed to rejoice? How am I supposed to find joy in that? Maybe you're going through something right now where you're trying to, to make sense of it, and you're thinking, man, this, 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 is, this might be the end of me. How am I supposed to rejoice, J.D.? What are you saying? That, that I should just play a nice song and shake, shake, shake it off? Forget about it? Just play a happy song and just not think about the problem. Is that what the Bible is saying and telling me to do? No. That's not what the scriptures are saying. Notice, Paul is not saying that you should minimize your problem. We're not learning from the scripture that you should ignore your suffering either. Because life will have suffering. Jesus himself said that in the world you will have tribulations. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And so he has empowered us to overcome the world. It's what God is doing in you. It's what he's doing in you. Here's, how, here's why you rejoice. You don't rejoice in the tragedy. You rejoice that you're still here. That you're still standing. That it did not take you down. That it won't take you down. That you're still fighting. There's still life in you. It's not the end. No, it makes me think of Joseph in the scriptures. Joseph was Abraham's great-grandchild. And Joseph, he was one of his dad's 12 kids, or 12 boys. And he was the favorite, but it wasn't his choice to be the favorite. And he only did what he dad, his dad asked. He was being a, an obedient child, honoring his parents. But he had dreams. He had big dreams. And he had actual dreams that he dreamed at night. And he saw visions and he shared with his family. And because the dreams showed that he would be honored, his brothers didn't like him and sold him into slavery. So now is Joseph not only being betrayed by his brothers and hated by his family, but he's sold into slavery. And the boy that thought he was going to become king is now a slave. But he still he endured through that suffering. And because he endured, God honored him. And as a slave, he became a commander in his in his uh, official's home. And he excelled there. And then there, there was a defamation situation where he, his name was defamed and he was thrown in prison. More suffering. Doesn't make sense. But still, he endured. He stood. And in prison, because he endured, the dream came true. And he became the actual governor of Egypt. Now, it makes me think of Daniel too. Daniel was a young man as well, bright young man, but he lived in an era of war. And his country 
Israel was besieged and, and they were all taken as exiles to Babylon. And so Daniel was basically in captivity. He was kidnapped. He was in, under religious per- oppression, religious persecution. But still he endured. He had, a, he had a death sentence on him. They threw him and they fed him to the lions. Still he endured. And in the end, he succeeded. It wasn't, it wasn't his end. You know, I'm sure you've gone through your own story where anxiety has tried to creep in and, and maybe it, it, it just brought a fog into your vision and you couldn't see the future. I know that about three years ago, I faced something that I had never faced before. I've always been healthy. I've always had, you know, good health. And I didn't go to a doctor for a physical until I was 30. I uh, just didn't because everything was just good. I showed up at the doctor and she was like, well, why are you here? I was like, I've just never been to a doctor. <laughs> she was like, what? Where are you from? Uh, the jungle. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's just, I just want to see what's up. And, you know, everything was good. But about three years ago in mid-2019, mid I... You know, we were going hard and, and building the church. And, you know, it takes so much energy to keep the team together and, and develop leaders and keep meetings going and things going. And we're mobile. And, you know, it's not always uh, the best to, to build an organization from nothing. And, you know, you have personal problems, personnel problems. I mean, you have, you know, financial goals and things. That you, and so everything is in my mind and we're running and we're going at it and, my wife and I, you know, raising our family, lit three little daughters, and, and uh, I wasn't sleeping right. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't eating right. I mean, everything. Over-caffeinated, eating four, five, six cups of coffee a day. And some of you are like, this is my story right now, J.D., so <laughs> you got you to pull back a little bit. <laughs> and then uh, I had this, this vertical episode where I don't know if you've ever had vertigo, man, but it's so crippling. It's worse than being dizzy. Like, it's... It, the, everything spins, and from the outside, it, it just it just looked like, I don't know, it, maybe you look normal, but I was like in a daze, you know. So I spent a day and a half sitting on our couch, staring at the ceiling with everything spinning in a bucket right next to me, just talking to my friend Ralph. <laughs> you know? Because you get so nauseated from that situation and I'm like what's happening right now but I didn't go to the doctor because I'm healthy and I'm sure that this is going to pass I don't know what it is but it's going to pass so it passed you know and of, of course we were praying and and so a couple of days later right back at it didn't change anything four cups of coffee six cups of coffee running you know going after it and then and then it happened on a Sunday morning. And that was a wake-up call because uh, you don't mess with Sundays, man. I don't do anything on Saturday night and don't mess with Sundays <laughs> because that's our day right here. And so that morning I couldn't be here. And it was so happened by God's provision that Alini was scheduled to speak that Sunday. And, and I couldn't be here. And I said, okay, this is it. I can't live like this. But immediately anxiety flooded my heart. Because it just happened two weeks ago. And now, on a Sunday, what is this going to be my life? 
Am I going to have to always, ha always have someone in my beck and call? Am I not going to be able to lead? Am I not going to be able to do what God has called me to do? Am I going to be debilitated by this condition that can strike at any moment? And then I have to just call it off and then take a day off. I can't live like this. So all of these thoughts of anxiety, and that's what anxiety is, right? You don't know your enemy. You don't know the threat. You don't know the outcome. You don't know what fu the future holds. And, and you try to hold on to the promises of God, but in that moment when the world is spinning, you're just saying, oh, God, please. You can't get your head straight. And so finally, the whole day went by, and I scheduled four appointments on that Monday. I went to four different doctors. Now I'm, like, dedicated to doctors, right? God, I believe that you will use medicine. I'm going to go talk to the experts. I went to a dentist, an orthodontist, a jaw doctor, and an ENT. There was something with my ear. And so I had tinnitus in this year, and, and, and the doctor was able to identify that this is the year that was causing the, the imbalance. And so this guy told me, hey, I think you have a condition. It's not conclusive because all the symptoms are not there. But I think you have a condition called Meniere's disease, which is progressive. You're going to lose your hearing. You're going to go deaf. And this is only going to get worse until you finally lose your hearing. And then you'll be okay. I'm like, all right. We'll still have this year. Yeah, you'll have this year, but, you know, you'll be okay. But I, I don't want you to lose your hearing, so I'm going to prescribe some med meds. All right, okay. And then I went to the jaw doctor who, you know, took x-rays and everything. He said, listen, I've seen this happen with TMJ. Do you, do you grind your teeth at night? I was like, oh, since as long as I can remember planting a church, <laughs> I not only grind my teeth at night, I do it with, ah, you know, I clench. And, uh, and I had to, like, put mouth guards and everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm sharing too much, but, you know, I want you to know what, you know, the, the, the situation. And so he said, I think it might be TMG. And you have, like, your bite is horrible. And the orthodontist said the same thing. Your teeth are all crooked in there. And you only have two teeth back here touching. That's it. So cause it's true, because I could only eat on this side. Like, I would he smile, and there's, like, a gap this big between my top teeth and the bottom. Because I couldn't, and I still have my wisdom teeth, had my wisdom teeth. And, and so the ortho said, I can just pull out your wisdom teeth. You want to do that? I was like, yeah, let's do that. Everything each doctor said, I said, yes. And then I went to the dentist, and she was like, I think it's sleep apnea. So I'm going to put a monitor on you for two days so that you can uh, analyze your sleep. I was like, all right, yes, let's do that. So it wasn't a sleep apnea. I took the teeth out, the, the tooth out, and my bite kind of self-corrected. And so I wasn't grinding as bad anymore. And then the ENT doctor said, I need you to let go of caffeine. You got to exercise you got to eat low sodium, and you have to uh, sleep. Just got to sleep at least eight hours a night, man. And I was like, yes, I'm going to do all four. So I completely gave up caffeine. I haven't had caffeine in three years. feel great. I thought, low sodium, that's healthy, right? Because then I started reading labels. People, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> have you read labels? I mean, we're packing that stuff with sodium. And I'm like, maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe we're just putting so much sodium in everything that I'm just one of those people that I, my, body, my body doesn't like the sodium. So I, I'm watching my sodium. I've been watching my sodium ever since. I was like, that's healthy, right? That's good. Good for my heart. 
Exercise, yeah, I'm going to go to a good gym. So we signed up for a good gym, good trainer. I'm going to invest the money because I'd rather spend a significant amount of money a year on a gym than have to spend that money in one day in the hospital. So let's do that. And sleep. Got to sleep. So I cut down the late night work and conversations and all that. We still talk, right, honey? We still talk. <laughs> do it earlier. Um, and I did everything. I did everything. But still praying. I had friends praying for me, believing that God is going to heal you. You're not going to see this happen anymore. And I can tell you, you know, I do, I do think, I do believe that I'm healed. But I'm still making wise choices. And for, for about a year, I can't tell you the amount of anxiety I felt every time I lay down. Because I would put my head on my pillow. And just flashbacks of everything spinning. And I would think, is, is it spinning right now? And so at night, I would close my eyes. And I would get neurotic about, do I go on this side or this side? Well, this is the bad year. If I go on this side, I might get dizzy. So I'm going to sleep on this side. Literally. And then, middle of the night, I would feel like everything is spinning. And I have to open my eyes and find, because we like to sleep really dark, and find a light, an LED, some kind of crevice in the window where I can find a point where I'm like, okay, that point is not moving. So nothing is spinning. Okay, I can go back to sleep again. You know, and, and just think about that constantly. And I'm like, Lord, I can't live like this. In this constant anxiety. And I don't know what you've been facing. But you can face a problem for so long that takes you to, to the, what, what, what psychologists call neurotic anxiety. It's a level of anxiety that is irrational. You start imagining things that you have no evidence to, to believe that it would happen. But you start thinking, man, I just, I just, and all of us went through something really traumatic these two, past two years, right? I think about teenagers who, who had no access to any social life for two years, and now they have to come back to social life. If you have children that age, it's hard. Because anxiety says, they're not going to like you. They're going to reject you. What do you think? You just don't say anything. Be quiet. They can't even see your face. So, right? And maybe you have things in your life, like at work, people, and your mind just runs amok, and, and anxiety is grippling your heart because of the suffering that you're facing. And I just want to tell you today, the Lord wants to deliver you from that. Amen. He wants to release you from that. It might take some work, but I believe that today is a day where you can you just release your soul and say, God, I know that there's purpose in my suffering, and I know that you, you're causing me to endure, and I'm not going to keep my, my mind, uh, and not going to cause my mind to abide on those things. I want to abide in you. I want to abide in your promises. I want to abide and believe in what you called me to do. So that's what I started confessing for my life. I'm, like, I'm going to live and not die to declare the wonders of the Lord. I'm going to see my children live a long life. And with long life, He will satisfy me. I will be healthy to fulfill God's purpose in my life. I will be able to carry out His call in my life to pastor, to teach, to be here on Sundays without having that fear and yet that anxiety that I need somebody in my back and call every week. And the Lord has been faithful. And we're continuing to persevere. But I can tell you that this scripture is right. It has caused me to endure. So I'm speaking from my personal uh, uh, testimony here today to you. You can endure. You can make it. 
You can, you can endure it and you can see God's promise come to pass on the other side. Let me encourage you to have a Christ-centered perspective today. Because most of us can't identify this until it's too late. Until we already quit. Until we already walked away. Until we already decided that this is the end. Let me encourage you today. This is not the end. God is still writing your story. Your life is in His hands. So I'm going to give you some homework. Like homework? You haven't had homework in a long time, huh? Yeah, you're like, my homework is Netflix, JD. Don't bother me. (laughs) I'm going to give you homework. This is what I want you to do. I want you to confess it. Okay? Whenever those thoughts flood your mind this week, you're going to face situations, right? Just say it under your breath. God, I thank you that this is not the end. I thank you that this suffering is producing something in me. And it's causing me to endure. This is not going to take me down. This is going to make me stronger. You're building my, my spiritual muscles. You're building the muscles in my soul. And I will not only survive this, I will thrive. Can you do that this week? Can you confess it by faith? Can you say every time the thoughts of anxiety come against you, say, this is not the end. This is not my end. This is not the end of my life. This is not the end of my marriage. This is not the end of my my career. This is not the end. God has given me endurance. And if you do that, I believe that not only are you going to be able to cling to the grace of God, not only are you going to be able to find joy in the fact that His kingdom can come into your life and His will can be done into your life on earth as it is in heaven, but you will also be able to build your spiritual muscles to face every suffering, knowing that God is producing something amazing in your life. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.